And uh, so I'm so glad to be home in this church family. If you're visiting us this morning, can I just say, this is an outstanding family, an outstanding family of God. And it's such a joy to be back here with you. And Tomakanga is about to begin. So, um, yeah, just come flying in and here we are. It's about to go. And uh, as we launch into this, I kind of felt it might be helpful. I was, I was told, there was, they said to me, Pete, you're doing that Sunday before we launch. And I thought, oh, okay, I'll fly in not knowing what's been going on, uh, but already catching something of what God is doing among us. Uh, but I thought what I'd do is um, maybe spend a bit of time in Luke chapter 8. Have I got a little thingy around? Thanks, Kate. Let me just, thank you so much. By the first slide up there, Kate, if we could turn to Luke 8, please, you might have your Bibles with you. You might want to flick over. If you don't, don't worry. Uh, the words will come up on the screen as well, and uh, Julian's going to read it out for us. Um, but you see, as I look at this passage, you know, there are a number of things that strike me that I hope can add to what other Sundays have done uh, to help us as we step into these three weeks. So that's the plan. So we're going to read the passage, or Julian's going to read the passage for us. But before he reads it, I just want to ask you, are you seated comfortably? Are you seated comfortably? Dali, are you seated comfortably? That's good. Jan, are you seated comfortably? That's excellent. We'll come back to that in a moment. All right, so Julian's going to read the passage. Let's follow it through, shall we? One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A storm came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. And the storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he met a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and was drowned. When those ten in the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left them. Okay, thanks, Julian. Father, just now by your Holy Spirit, please make, make these words live. 
we want to be changed by you as we look ahead for the next three weeks and beyond. So God, please breathe on what I'm saying and make them live in Jesus' name. So the first thing that, I, that jumps out at me in this passage really was that first phrase of the whole passage. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. I, I don't know where the idea came from for Jesus to do that, uh, but Jesus, it seems, just decides, it seems, one day we're going over there. And straight away, this is one of the big things you'll see as you read the Gospels, is that Jesus is on the move constantly. He is constantly on the move. He's never staying in one place for long. It's not like he sets up a center somewhere in Capernaum or Bethany and has everybody come to him. It's that he is on the move. In fact, if you try and put a map out following where Jesus goes, you can't put it in one map. There's several maps to try and map out where Jesus went. He's always on the move. That's the point. Never stays in one place. Constantly facing outward, always stepping forward. Even when people come to him, he still goes. And the disciples struggle with that sometimes. If you remember back in Mark, the first chapter, when, when Jesus is praying for many in Capernaum. Remember, he's praying, he's, he's healing the sick, he's casting out demons. The whole town comes to him. And then, then that night, he, or early the next morning, he goes off on his own. Peter searches him out. And it says in Mark 1, it says, he says to Jesus, everyone's looking for you. In other words, they're all here, Jesus. Let's get up and carry on. And yet Jesus' reply is, let us go somewhere else. Let us go somewhere else. Amazing. Everybody's coming to him, but no, it's let's keep pressing into new places, into new territory. And you see, this reinforces to me at least a great truth, and it's this, it's that the kingdom of heaven is about movement, right? It's not passive. In fact, it's about expansion and growth. You know, Isaiah 9, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. The kingdom is always on the increase, always advancing, always on the move, always expanding, always breaking into enemy territory. And so you get a passage like this. And uh, uh, Matthew, it says this, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful people are seizing it. And look, whatever else that verse means, it tells me that the Christian faith is forceful. All right? It's, it's not a, a passive armchair kind of faith. It's not a sitting back and relaxing faith. It's not a are you sitting comfortably kind of faith. Yeah? At home we have one of those massive big armchairs, the kind of lazy boy armchairs that I inherited from my dad. And uh, it's one of those chairs that you don't sit down on, you, you climb into. You know, one of those kind of chairs. And you sit down and the, your back goes up, back and your feet go up. And it's like it cradles you. It's one of those kind of chairs, you know. It kind of strokes you, kind of, kind of wipes your furrowed brow. You kind of sit back in it and you automatically feel like, oh, hot milk and pajamas type <laughs> chair. You know what I mean? And uh, I can't tell you how many times I've drifted off to sleep in that chair. It's just, it just happens. It's the effect it has on you. And I guess for some people, you know, their faith can become a little bit like that. A passive kind of faith, a cozy kind of let go and just let God kind of faith. You know, it's that kind of a thought that says, well, God is sovereign. Look, if God wants me to speak to that person about my faith, then he will bring that person to me. 
Or if God wants me to prophesy, then his power will come upon me and he'll take over my mouth and he'll start jabbering through my lips. I won't have to do anything. Or if God wants me to pray for that sick person over there, his power will come upon me, he'll take over my limbs and I'll start walking across the room to that person. If God wants me to go across the world to another nation with the gospel, then an angel will appear with flight tickets and a taxi to the airport. (laughs) And if God doesn't do any of those things, I'm staying where I am in my cozy routine, you know, paying the bills, getting the kids through school, turning up at work, coming to church, doing the usual routine. Because after all, it's about grace. That's what I mean by an armchair kind of faith, quietly passive, drawn to what is comfortable. I want to ask you again this morning, are you sitting comfortably? (laughs) I knew you would say that. You see, I read here that the kingdom is forcefully advancing and forceful people take hold of it. And so, so Jesus is on the move. People are coming, but Jesus is on the move. And that's his word to his followers. To the 12, it's go. To the 72, it's go. This is why I love what Tomakunga is about. I love the idea because it's about opening the doors and going out and, yeah, bringing people in to experience more of God's presence and power. But it's about going out first. That's the way we bring people in. It's about going out. And the church must never lose that. The church must never lose it. So these coming weeks, look, I just see them personally for me as a fresh opportunity to be stirred to make sure I'm not sitting in my armchair. All right? An opportunity to take some territory again and push back some boundaries. To step out with a kingdom that is advancing. So, so I hope that's going to be your challenge too. It's, a, it's stepping out with an advancing kingdom. That's my first point this morning. Right? Second point from this passage is this. Stepping out in the kingdom isn't always an easy ride downhill. It's not easy. In fact, it can be stormy. And that's what we read here in Acts in, uh, in uh, chapter two, uh, chapter eight, verse twenty-two. It goes on to say this. Will it go on to say this? Next, uh, next slide. <laughs> Thanks, Kate. Just going back again to the passage. Here we go. So they got into the boat and set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. A storm came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Master, Master, we're going to drown. And he got up and he rebuked the wind. Can't you say stepping out with the kingdom isn't a plain sailing exercise? Because here they are, they're stepping out, expanding the kingdom. Storm hits, Jesus rebukes it. Now, in Mark's account of this, we're told what Jesus actually said to the storm. So in Mark chapter 4, verse 39, maybe the next slide, Kate, Jesus says this. It says, he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. Now, scholars will tell you that that phrase, quiet, be still, is the same phrase that Jesus uses when he's casting out demons. In other words, this storm isn't just some coincidental squall. No, no, no. It's it's a demonic pushback. 
It's a reaction of the enemy. And again, we just need to understand sometimes, don't we? Whenever the kingdom comes, whenever the kingdom advances, there is a clash. Sparks fly, kingdoms collide. That's what we're seeing here. And that's why this kingdom has to forcefully advance. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. Listen, Listen, if we're going to get out of our armchairs and start to break new ground, there will be conflict, right? There will be pushback. There will be reaction. And if you ask, well, what kind of pushback, Pete, are you talking about? Well, the answer is all kinds, but, but I would suggest that one of the main pushbacks of the enemy, as you can see here in this passage, is the pushback of fear. And that's what intimidation is, fear and intimidation. That's what this storm was all about. The disciples are terrified. Master, master, we're going to drown. And look, whenever you are about to step out in some area or do something new, what's the most common thing that we struggle with? It's fear, isn't it? We get intimidated. In anything we do, whenever you you step out to bring a a prophecy publicly, a prophetic word, I defy anybody who does that not to feel a little bit of fear when they do that. Some people are terrified of doing it. I know for me, the fear of what might happen if I prophesied stopped me from starting to prophesy for years. It just did. I still remember in a congregation like this, I'd be feeling a a word bubbling up inside me. I I sensed it was God. I I feel it's from you, Lord. I want to bring it. I want to bring hearts beating, sweaty palms. But I would just, every time I do that, a scenario would play through my mind. And the scenario would go something like this. I would blurt out my prophecy. The elders would come up to the microphone, stop the worship, and say, who brought that heresy? (laughs) And it was a fear that stopped me for years. Listen, when you bring a word from God about a person for healing, what do you feel? What if no one responds? Whenever you approach someone in the street, what if they turn away or brush me off or kind of react negatively. How will I feel? Whenever you seek to steep out and really express the love of God, it's usually fear, fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of looking like a fool. But we all know what that feels like. Personally, I am an expert on what that feels like. I can write books on it. Pete Hanari's life, each chapter headed with, and Pete was terrified when? (laughs) Pete was frightened when? And then Pete was terrified over here. <laughs> Fear. There's a lady here this morning, Marie. <laughs> I've not seen you for 30 years, 35 years. When I knew Marie, I was 21 years old, part of a, an outreach team for a year, young people, a whole group of us. And for a year, we went out preaching on the streets uh, knocking on doors, going to schools, university, working with students. We do all this kind of stuff. And if you talk to Marie afterwards and tap her on the shoulder, she will tell you that I was especially marked out with fear. All right? And that's partly because there was the fear of sharing my faith publicly and all those things that we were doing, but there was a terror that overlaid all of that, which was simply the fear of speaking, of talking. Because as many of you will know, I've got a terrible stutter at times. And there were times when I couldn't speak. I just couldn't do it. And so for me to stop someone in the street, I'd start with, my name is... 
And they thought I was having a sneeze or something. I mean, it was one of those things where people were like, oh, really? What's his problem? I had that fear all year, and I know once or twice I remember, Marie, you kind of took me aside once or twice, I remember, and uh, yeah, I, I know what that's like. I know what fear is like. I, I, but what I read here is this. this is, we need to understand, fear is not something to be fled from. It's not something to keep us back. It's not to be given into. Listen, it's to be rebuked, quiet, be still. And there are times that I've said that as a young pastor, my, my, my job was to preach on Sunday mornings. What a joke. Saturday evening, I'd be terrified. God, please, what will I do tomorrow if I can't talk? I had to learn to say, quiet, be still. We're doing this thing. It's important that we learn to rebuke. Listen, one of our culture words is courage. So as we're looking ahead to the next three weeks and beyond, I want to put a challenge out there. Don't just sign up for the stuff you know you can do. Sign up for the stuff you know you can't. Shall we do that? Shall we agree to do that? Let's do what we know we can't do. Let's just agree right now. You know, you know, what is your comfort zone? Identify the boundaries of what you're comfortable with, and then let's just step over them this three weeks, shall we? Let's just do that. Let's just do it. Let's step out and see what God does. Let's start taking some ground. Let's break the power of fear. All right, that's the second point. Last point is this. In God's great strategic plan, have you ever thought... Why did he ever send Jesus over to the other side of the lake? What great purpose did it actually achieve? Because if you read the story, in one sense you could say it was a complete failure and a disappointment. Because remember, remember the story, Jesus, right up to the point where he gets into the boat to go across the lake, All right, he has had thousands of people all around him. It says in uh, Matthew 4.25, Large crowds from Galilee, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So you're talking thousands of people following him wherever he goes. So, so Jesus arriving in a town was like a parade. You've got hundreds and thousands, children, old people, all ages, people getting healed, demons being cast out. It must have been a noise and a crowd and dust everywhere whenever Jesus turned up. And yet here is Jesus, he gets into the boat, he turns his back on this vast crowd, steps into the boat, sails across to a place he has never been. The Gerasenes, he's never been there. And I can imagine one or two of the more strategically minded uh, of the 12 in the boat, the disciples thinking, oh, I know what's going to happen. We're going to go across this lake. Jesus is going to do a few miracles. The whole town will break wide open. Thousands will turn to Christ off the back of what Jesus does. But look at what actually happens. Verse 27, the next slide, Kate. It says here, when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. So Jesus meets this tormented guy. And it is awful. Mark gives us more detail. He says, Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, this man would cry out and cut himself with stones. So it's a horrible situation. But then Jesus does the miracle. Casts out the demons, sends them into a herd of pigs and they're drowned. This man is restored. But here's the thing. Instead of everybody seeing this miracle and turning to Christ in their thousands and huge breakthrough, what do we read? goes on to say this. Next slide. 
Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. Then the next one, so he got into the boat and left. And he does. Gets into the boat and sails all the way back across the lake. And I think some of the disciples in the boat, the more strategically minded ones, are scratching their heads thinking, what was that all about? What was that all about? We left thousands of people over here for one guy over there. What's that all about? What kind of strategy is that? Aren't you glad that God doesn't work according to our strategies? Now, he has his own strategy. His strategy is to leave the 99 to find the one. His strategy is to seek and save the lost. He chooses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. He chooses the things that are not to shame those things that are. He chooses to go for the rejected and the broken. I love this story because it's like God stops a big party going, a big parade. You imagine before Jesus gets in the boat over in Capernaum, thousands are flocking around Jesus, amazing things are happening, and it's almost like God says, stop, and he pulls the plug and the lights go out. I see a man over there across the lake, and he is cutting himself with stones. And he is crying among the tombstones. And he's lost in the darkness. So we must go to him. That's what I see. And I just love this. This man who has no potential whatsoever on the surface. I mean, if we had him in our church, I don't know what we'd do with this guy. Wearing no clothes, cutting himself with stones. You couldn't put him on the hospitality table, could you? He could lead a connect group, though. No. <laughs> I don't know what we would do with this guy. Potential? Anything to commend him? No, not likely. Nothing there at all. But Jesus says, stop everything. I'm going after him. Aren't you glad about that? Because, listen, you should be. Because that guy is us. That guy is us. We are all that man. You go, What? I'm not running around like he was. No, no, no. He just externalizes what many of us feel on the inside at times. That's what's going on. I mean, come on, how many of us have found ourselves hiding among the gravestones in some form or other? I have. I have. I've known times of darkness. I've known times of grief. I've known times of loneliness. I've known times of despair. I've known times of shame. Listen, we've all been there. In fact, some of us are there today. We're just really good at hiding it. Some of us are there today. And that's the point. We're living in a world full of people who have learned to hide it well. We rub shoulders with them all the time. I read a story a while ago now of a, of a, a, a man, a middle-aged executive type, who lived in a lovely executive street cul-de-sac in a lovely big executive house with a lovely executive garden. And one afternoon he drove his executive Porsche home and he drove up the driveway and into the garage and he shut the garage door and he just kept the engine on. And his family found him later that night dead. But it was what the neighbours said that struck me. The neighbours are all saying, we would never have known. 
there were no signs. He seemed so happy. Always said good morning to me on the way to work. We're very good at hiding our anguish, even in the church. I've been a pastor long enough to know that people can be raising their hands in worship but falling apart on the inside. Jesus goes all the way over to the other side of the lake for one broken man. And folks, (laughs) that's still his passion. That's still his passion. It's what he loves to do. Listen, if you really have a desire to know Jesus more, if you have a desire to experience his love and know his presence more, here's a rule of thumb. Simply go where he is. When I was a little boy, I loved to be with my dad. My dad was a great father when I was a little boy. And the thing is, I always knew where he was because when he was at home, he was always in the garden. That's what he did. He's trimming the edges and he'd be weeding here and there, be doing a little veggie plot. That's where he was. So if I wanted to be with my dad, I just knew where to go. I just went to the garden. I'd meet him there. Listen, if you want to know where Jesus is, he's not hard to find. He's always out there looking for the one. That's where he loves to be. Although sometimes I, I sometimes picture Jesus looking over his shoulder out in those places saying, where is my church? I'm here. Where are they? And that's what Tomokunga again is all about. Listen, over the next three weeks, you want to meet with Jesus? Well, you want to experience his love? He's not hard to find. Let's go. It may mean crossing a lake or two. It may mean crossing over a few comfort zone boundaries. It may mean experiencing a bit of pushback and a little bit of rejection, whether it's out in the streets or, or just any one of the other activities that are going on. It may mean a bit of this and a bit of that. But the payoff is wonderful. You'll meet with Jesus. And I can't think of anything better. Praise God that Jesus is here. But remember, he, he died to save a world. They didn't know him. I know he's out there. So let's allow these weeks to launch us into a much longer season of impacting this land. Praise God for Steve's word earlier. Oh, yes. As we step out, some of us stepping out in areas we've never done before, we will fall into, oh, this is my calling, actually. Oh, wow, God, you're, you're opening other doors for me. I could never have imagined. Why? Because Jesus is there. And he's still calling his disciples to go and to bring his kingdom in and to change the world. Amen? Let's stand, shall we? Let's just stand for a second. Let's just pause for a moment before we end. I just wonder if there aren't some here who have let fear decide what they can and can't do. I just wonder if there aren't a few here who are thinking, I have longed to do this. I've longed to step out and share my faith this way. I've longed to pray for the sick, actually. I've I've longed to, to step out with those prophetic words that I know are bubbling inside me. I've longed to be used in that area of the kingdom. I've longed to step out into the community. I've longed to share my faith with my family. But fear has 
headed me off every time. Holy Spirit, come to those people right now. Because, Lord, you have places to send them, people to meet, places to go, the kingdom to bring, and lives to be changed. Holy Spirit, come, please. Meet with them because they want to be free. I pray give them the courage to turn on that fear and say, quiet, be still. I am following Jesus. I am being where he is, and I'm seeing his glory come. That's you this morning, just where you're standing, just quietly where you are. Turn to face him and say, Lord Jesus, come now, fortify me with courage. Strengthen me now, even where you are, just now where you are. Come, Holy Spirit. The fact is, God is far more to bring you into than you could ever ask or imagine. And so in that sense, we're all breaking new ground. Not one of us has arrived. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Where's Daniel? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Some of you have got blank boxes that you know the email that Isla sent out and there are some boxes to tick. You may need to go and visit them, revisit them, not to tick the boxes of the things you know you can do, but maybe to tick a few boxes of those that you know you can't. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. If what I'm saying is coming close to home for you, Yes, I've let fear define me for too long. Then just where you're standing, just put your hands out right now. Come on, let's, let's do this thing. Let's settle it this morning. We will not be held back. The things that we long to do in our hearts, we will not be headed off from doing. Lord Jesus, whatever squall or storm the enemy might push us back with, we pray now as a people, help us to rise up in maturity and say, quiet, be still. My eyes are upon Jesus. My life means little. The glory of God is great. You know, Mikhail, this German financier, so affected me actually. He was a banker, but felt a yearning to go and see the kingdom come to refugees and another nation. And so he got on his bike, made some arrangements, quit his job, and went. And was it smooth sailing? No. He, his story is storm after storm after storm, fear after fear. But now look what God is doing through him hundreds and eventually thousands will be affected by what's going on amongst those churches. Nations that were closed in our opening. Young Iranians are getting saved even as they, they watch his, his little, uh, little film that they, they do on a Sunday morning. They, they, they beam in on the internet and get saved. And they're planting churches via the internet now. Amazing. 57 cents. Lord, we give you our lives and we pray, please, breathe upon us. We shake away the shackles of fear. 
we step into your strength, into your wonderful love which casts out all fear, and we will run with you over these weeks in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Can I also say, there may be one or two of you who feel like you're walking around in tombstones this morning. You look fine. Your clothes are great. Your greeting on the door is perfect. You may even be raising your hands when the songs are sung, but you're falling apart on the inside. Jesus wants to set you free. He wants to restore you. Allow him to do that this morning. I'm going to be wandering around the front here. A few others will as well. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to stand next to you and pray for the power of God to rest upon you and bring restoration to you. Hallelujah. Just as we close, can we raise our hands and pray for the next three weeks? Can we do that now? Raise your hands. Say, God, come in your power. Let's just do this. Pray. Raise your voices and ask for the kingdom of God to come and that people get touched by the kingdom and people get set free. Father, do it, Lord. We ask for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, Lord, we launch out into you. Oh, Father, come, Holy Spirit. Your kingdom come. Oh, God, many, Lord, to be influenced and touched by your kingdom. Lord, some to be brought in and to encounter the living God for the first time. Oh, God, come in healing and salvation and delivering power. In Jesus' name, we step out now and say, God, we're trusting you. We're loving you. We're believing you to give us all the grace we need. Hallelujah. Lord, more than that, launch us beyond the three weeks, Lord, into the months and into the years are people more mobilized than I've ever been before, more bold and courageous than they've ever been, seeing more people touched by the kingdom than we've ever seen. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said,